Hello and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. Season 2, episode 103 for April 13th, 2023. The Radzar cometh, and more news. Here's a quick rundown of tonight's articles. We're going to talk about some games that we are excited about. It's not really us, but we might be excited about them too. Apple commits to 100% recycled cobalt in batteries by 2025. Yay. New York hires the first ever rat czar. That has to be a character in John Wick. Jeans made out of what? Well, we'll talk about it. One of VR's smartest room scale games is finally in development for the Quest. There's a lot of talk about VR dying. We'll talk about it some more. Government urges certain software makers to take cybersecurity off of customer hands, and I think that's a dumb idea. Uh, Stints at uh, SpaceX, three brothers decide that they're going to build spacecraft uh, powered by moon water. China could start building a moon base with lunar soil bricks in five years amid NASA fears of a moon territory dispute. PBS suspends their Twitter uh, posting as well, uh, kind of sister brotherhood or personhood, or I don't know what you want to say, in alliance with NPR. I'm thinking that I'm going to start posting uh, comments on Twitter about NPR and PBS. Anchor Bamboo in Prasa and Creality work on a 3D printer that suddenly has uh, a speed mode and Costco hilariously messes up a birthday cake design. I've seen it. It's kind of funny. You ready to get into today's show? I am. Hello, hello. I am Erwatt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI. Oh, and the follower goal is almost at 100%. So that would be awesome if uh, you go tell a friend and they can come over and they can follow us here on Twitch. Uh, and then uh, if you're uh, oh so motivated or if you're over on YouTube and you're following us there, come on over to Twitch and follow us here too. This is where you find out when I actually launch a show and the AI will always be there until they're not. And, uh, you know, they sometimes have other tasks that they have to do. So, um, but <laughs> the, the show will go on 9 p.m. Eastern until further notice. We might end up shifting it. Um, I will be expanding it in about um, three weeks, four weeks um, to an eight hour day at least, uh, barring external influencers. Uh, that said, we've got all of the articles selected. And before we do that, let me draw some attention to the AI. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Yeah, so that's the AI. And uh, the AI send, sometimes sends me messages to keep me on my toes, make sure I'm doing the right thing at the right time. Sometimes I forget about it. Um, but I do have to warn people right now that the, the bandwidth is saying that it's low, but my stream out to Twitch is just fine. So if there are dropped frames, um, I'm not seeing them but the ingest server might be acting a little hinky. 
Uh, but it's not on me, and the DNS server hasn't gone out yet, but knock on wood, it doesn't go out. We'll see. We'll see. It decided to take the afternoon off um, yesterday, five minutes into the stream. <laughs> A <laughs> well, let's touch and go. shoot for six minutes today. <laughs> That's right. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll resolve that. You want to get into the very first article? Sounds good. You have anything that you want to throw in here? Um, no, I like my visualizer. Yeah, it's green and yellow today. It's that's supposed to be spring. really green, but I don't know what's going on. Why that's not really green. Doesn't sound, look green to me. I almost said it doesn't sound green, but anyway, it doesn't sound green to me either. It doesn't sound green at all. Let's go. First article is over on the Warcrafters channel. Uh, the PC game releases we're most excited about in April. This is from uh, PC Gamer, which is uh, pretty much my go-to for uh, gaming news. Although I have a bunch of others, uh, a lot gets aggregated into Omtown, but um, it's few and far between. Uh, PC Gamer is pretty steady state. The year in PC gaming will heat up a bit near the end of April, which uh, it'll include new Star Wars game, which... Did we keep that article? I don't know if we kept that article. I think we eliminated that one. We had oh, okay. too many articles yeah, today. We, yeah, we we tend to have a lot of articles um, on Thursday. But um, so there's a deal out there where you can get like all of the Star Wars movies, right? Or uh, not movies, but games. That's it's right. Like um, hundreds of them. Uh, for $21, you can get 14 classic Star Wars games. Yeah, like hundreds of dollars worth of games, um, all for cheap. So, I don't know, maybe we can uh, throw that into something somewhere. Maybe in the show notes. I'll throw show it notes. into the show notes. Okay, well, anyway, um, the next RPG from Genshin Impact Developer, Shadows of Doubt, uh, an early access sci-fi detective game that the authors have been drooling over since its first trailer. Playing immersive sims might be the only thing PC gamer editors like doing more than posting pictures of Geralt in the tub. Uh, no, I, I'm i not posting that. Anyway, uh, I'm just telling you what Tyler Wilde wrote in their article. That's a little snippet from uh, this article. So Tyler Wilde over at PCGamer.com wrote this article. Uh, Dead Island 2 is finally here. Cal Kestis is back in it. Uh, and Jedi Survivor and uh, one of PC Gamer's most anticipated games for 2023 enters early access. So let's go through this really quick. Um, they drop another uh, notice to everybody that E3 isn't going to be happening. Uh, but PC Gaming Show is, and that's on June 11th. So yay. Um there's something else going on, I think. There's something else going on in June, huh? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll come up with something. I, I don't remember what all it is. Anyway, um, let's see what else is in this uh, list. They have this. It says here below is a selection of the month's most notable PC game releases from their perspective, um, followed by a bigger list of games releasing in April. For an even more comprehensive list, they have a link to 2023's new games. So they talk about X Defiant, a closed beta that's starting April 20, sorry, April 13th to the 23rd. Uh, War Tales actually just entered open access or early access, so you can uh, sign up for that. 
Um, you can buy it right now. It's all the rage here on Twitch. Um, God of Rock, Dead Island 2. Um, this is actually pretty anticipated, but we'll see what happens. It says it's a, a zombie sandbox that's finally coming out over a decade after the first game release. But the the stuff that people have been uh, seeing and reading about it, it seems like it's going to be pretty good. Um, Shadows of Doubt. Honkai Star Rail, which I haven't heard of, um, but it says after the global success of Genshin Impact, there are a lot of eyes on this new turn-based RPG from uh, Hoyaverse. It's set in a holy space train, so if you were wondering whether or not it'll be anime as hell, the answer is yes. So uh, this actually is kind of weird. Um, so you're, you'll have to go and check this out. There, there's no real way to explain this thing because it's. Hey. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say Summer Game Fest is in June in L.A. Maybe, maybe that's online. what it is. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately at the end of this list is Star Wars Jedi Survival Survivor. Sorry. Um, and that's um, April 28th. Apparently it's releasing. I thought it was already out in early access. Um, but let me let me pull that up real quick. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. What? I don't quite get it. So you, oh, you can pre-purchase it. That's why. Okay. Well, I was hoping that it would be VR extended, but it's not. I want to be the character. Um, in fact, I really don't like being a, some other named character. Like, I don't want to play Cal Kestis. I want to be my own character, but go through that story. Um, I know that kind of it deviates from a a star wars game because you're supposed to be playing the character but I, I don't know i i like being what i create not necessarily a story on rails character do this do that I like open world stuff um i know i i might be a little weird there and then at the very end of this article they have this massive list of all kinds of stuff that's dropping um so go over and check it out. I just got Fabledom, um, which uh, looks like it's a fun um, kind of world builder kind of thing. Um, sim base building kind of story driven. I don't know. I'll play it here. Um, maybe this weekend I'll be able to play it. Uh, maybe tomorrow afternoon I'll be able to play it. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next article. But before I do that, uh, I always throw these URLs into the uh, streams chat so that you can click on them, follow them over to uh, the articles themselves. And they'll be in the VOD for 60 days and then they disappear because the whole VOD disappears. But by that time, usually at the end of each night, I um, upload the video over to YouTube and it has the show notes and all of these links embedded in its description. Um, and then from there, I also upload it to the podcast and you can catch the hometown daily news show, uh, usually the next day. And that covers the previous 24 hours of news, the 10 articles. And, uh, we always do the discussion here, uh, at 9 PM Eastern. Uh, every day so far um, I've only missed I think it was five days last year because of Christmas okay 
Well, this next article is Apple commits to 100% recycled cobalt in batteries by 2025, which is great. Um, there must be enough uh, cobalt floating around that they can recycle it, uh, which is awesome. But it says Apple says all batteries it designs will use entirely recycled cobalt, plus all magnets in its devices will use only recycled rare earth elements. And all circuit boards will have 100% recycled tin soldering and gold plating. Apple's new commitment to accelerating its use of recycled materials follows its announcement that it is doubling its investment in the Carbon Removal Restore Fund. This new announcement also ties into a, the firm's overall aim of being entirely carbon neutral by 2030. Quote, our ambition to is uh, sorry. Our ambition to one day use 100% recycled and renewable materials in our products works hand in hand with Apple 2030. Our goal to achieve carbon neutral products by 2030. Yay, Apple! William Gallagher over at AppleInsider.com put the. Did that sound like yay beer? <laughs> I said hooray, but it might have come out like yay beer. <laughs> um, I didn't even hear that. That's weird. I'm I'm going to have to work on your audio interface. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's fully functional right there. Um, yeah, well, I'm not sure this is fully functional. <laughs> there you go. Now I actually on my heard end. that. That I actually heard. Okay. Well, anyway, William Gallagher over at AppleInsider.com put this article together. Um, I love pictures like this of taking apart electronics where you can see the guts. Um, sorry, I was going to crack a joke, but uh, probably inappropriate. At, at any rate, Apple is trying to go green as much as a, as a industrial business can. You know, I mean, you're you're sitting there milling aluminum and uh, having plastic formed and all of the chip fab stuff in various countries and the environmental impact of running a, a, <laughs> a mega business is uh, substantial, right? You're going to have some environmental impact negatively. And if you can do, if you can mitigate it as much as possible, like I always see this person, um, like re reusing, uh, recycling, um, upscaling, whatever you can, then awesome. That, and that's for people. Now, when a business does it, that's a whole different matter because I don't know. I'd have to look at the stats, um, but by far it has to be industrial enterprise that causes the most environmental damage because. Oh, absolutely everyday joes yeah we're not the ones that are pulling trains from one side of the country to the other and dumping toxic waste into the waterways and ground when they decide to become allergic to the tracks right we're just now, the consumer. A, none of that means we shouldn't do our part as individuals but i agree our focus really needs to be on industry right so Apple says that in 2021, 13% of all cobalt found in Apple products came from recycling. In 2022, that rose to 25%. By 2030, they hope to have it all 100% recycled cobalt. Similar, similarly, Apple use of 100% recycled 
uh, rare earth elements rose from 45 to 73 in 2022. Um, and they're going to be going uh, 2030. It says recycled air earth um, magnets in the iPhone's 11 Taptic engine and now uses it across all devices, most notably the magnets that they include. So, you know, those are some real increases. Um, and think about how many Apple products there are. I mean, 13 to 25%, 45 to 73% all in a year. That's fantastic. Yep. And, um, and then within the next five years, hoping to be, well, uh, seven years, hoping to be 100% across the board, everything recycled. In 2022, 38% of tin used in flexible printed circuit boards came from recycled sources. Apple says it's expanding this to all flexible and to rigid boards that it designs. So it's um, mitigating all of the need for additional um, manufacturing of the pure elements only to have to recycle them somewhere. Might as well use the recycled parts. So the thing that I want to know, though, is when you recycle, there's always some type of what I'll just refer to as either wastage or slag, right? It's the stuff left over that's too contaminated to be purified. And even the purified remnants, again, become the, you know, wastage or slag. Um, so where does that go and what is that? And uh, is that... Sorry, I just had a anyway. Um, so what is that and where is it going? And is this is that the, the next thing? Is that that the worst toxic whatever is sitting there as a remnant of the purification process that allows them to reuse and recycle? I don't know. I don't either. I mean, it's probably got to be better than cobalt mining, but that doesn't mean it's without impact. Yep. Let's keep going. Uh, this next article is where we get our title from because I'm telling you, Radzar has to be like a super villain. But in this case, I guess it's going to be pretty good. Uh, I would love to have seen this like a battle of the applicants to fight. Okay, so the title <laughs> of this article, it's in the Mobile Channel, um, which if... If enough news goes through the mobile channel on Ometown, it will be a breakout show all by itself, talking about topics that are fit for the mobile show, which is basically about uh, society more than just pure news, but how things, events, stuff is happening. It's for the mobile mob or mobile is where I came up with the name mobile. Um, owned that domain for years and years and years. Um, at any rate, I would love to kind of have a, what is it, like gladiator style battle for Rat Czar. <laughs> it's like dancing with the stars, but fight for the Rat Czar. New York City hires first ever Rat Czar, a former teacher who beat out nearly 1,000 applicants. That's right. A former teacher who hates rodents as much as Mayor Eric Adams, Kathleen Karate, beat out, it says 900. Uh, we always read a little bit and we find out a more right, definite number. The number changes a little bit. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. This is the first time it's gone down, but 
They say nearly 1,000. So anyway, they beat out 900 applicants to become the citywide director of rodent mitigation, according to Adams, who announced it on Wednesday. I'd rather have Rat Czar on my business card, though. I, I wouldn't want either, but that's okay. Well, I love it when there are people that are passionate about the domain that they are getting into, regardless of what it is, right? Like, I'm not going to be catfish noodler, right? <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? Yes, it's yeah. a horrible thing. <laughs> so but the if, name is funny. <laughs> if you don't know about catfish noodling, what you do is you, you creep out into a stream and you stick your hands under rocks, hoping that you're gonna stuff your arm into a giant catfish, and then you just pick it up. Because what is it gonna do? It's sitting there with an entire fist in its mouth, going and caught. And that's a catfish noodler. Thank you, Dirty Jobs. (laughs) Thank you, Dirty Jobs, yes. And Mike Rowe, by the way, is still doing that uh, show over on YouTube. Um, it's called Someone's Gotta Do It, I think it is. I think that's what it's called. You can look it up. Anyway, um, quote, I knew when my wife's grandma called from North Carolina to see if I would apply, it was meant to be, Karate said in a uh, press conference in Harlem. I mean, I All guess right. if you're that well known within your extended family. <laughs> that this is a fit for you it probably is yep um and and here's uh just a little bit of icing on the cake is this thing that's right before our so um hometown embeds a link that sends you off to the source right and it's called visit the source um but right above it is new york city urges new yorkers to call out dog poopatrators in a new cleanup <laughs> effort <laughs> oh boy <laughs> You know, New York should probably hire people to run around and clean up dog poop and call them uh, para poopers, where they just swoop in and clean up the mess. Oh, and then, God. but they, they really, I hope they don't get paid shitty amounts of money. They, they really do need, yeah. They, okay. Anyway, um, I let that linger a little too long and it started to hurt my feelings that it was only me laughing in my head. So this is over at thehill.com. Mira Wasif and Greg Mocker are the two who, what, hotel workers and pimps? Why is that on the screen? I Now I can't, okay, I'm just going to scroll up. <laughs> it's not getting any better. <laughs> I refresh the, for those of you who are on the podcast side of things, I refreshed the video that was playing and all it did was, just emblazon the thing that I was trying not to have displayed on the screen. Whatever. Uh, it wasn't uh, like lewd or, or not safe for no, work. It was, it was just, just another news article. An article that has nothing to do with this. I don't like it when articles do this. Anyway, um, so Karate previously worked on rodent reduction efforts at the Department of Education where she focused on cutting off rats, food, water, and shelter supplies. <sighs> Those were children. Those weren't rats. Those were children. (laughs) She plans to do the same thing in her new role. Karate said getting food and leftover waste into rat-proof compost bins is a start, but broader efforts are expected. New York rats. They take slices of pizza. Right. Yeah, that's right. We've seen video of that. I was thinking they might take your wallet or something, but... 
Yeah, and then they go and max out your credit. So Adams administration posted a job listing for the rat czar in late December with a range of $120,000 to $170,000. And it says, while rats have been a constant presence throughout the five boroughs, New Yorkers have poked fun at Adams. Sorry, there's a apostrophe there. Anyway, crusade against pizza eating creatures. See? Anyway, the recent social media video showed a, a long black snake slithering across a subway train in the caption, the new rat czar in New York City. So this is how you end up with Snake Island, because there's like some other beast. So, oh, what is that? There's a whole song. The fly that oh, ate the... Or, yes, yes. Uh, what is that song? I can't remember it. Um. So you bring in snakes... To get the rats but then the snakes uh start like eating people and so you get something to eat the snakes like a um what are the my goodness so there Wolverine. was an old lady who swallowed the fly is basically yeah, the song but you keep getting progressively larger exactly predators yeah. or whatever and then you suddenly have a much <laughs> different problem so if the new rat czar is the snake, then they get a wolverine to go after the snake, and then they have to get a bear to go after the wolverine. And then by the time, uh, well, New York is getting invaded by uh, Godzilla because... Right. They might want the rats back. <laughs> yeah. Pick your battle, and at least you know your enemy is the rats. Just become friends with them. They just want to be hugged, and maybe your pizza. So let's keep on going through the news. The next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. Jeans made out of what? One company dared to go where no one had before, and probably for a reason. Um, and even Levi's is on board. So Stacy Flynn, CEO and co-founder of Textile Innovations Company, uh, ever knew? Or I would probably start cracking jokes, never nude, or something like that, um, are uh, redefining fashion's sustainable future and i don't know if this is a risky click but it's over at entrepreneur so probably not amanda breen over at entrepreneur.com put the article together and it says key takeaways here stacy flynn's month-long trip to china revealed the dire state of the apparel industry um, she and christopher stanev co-founded uh, evernew i think that's how you pronounce it it's e-v-r-n-u so evernew uh, to upend the cycle of excessive waste I don't know if that's a, a jab at being overweight. It's spelled differently. Ever excessive waste. Get it? Oh, yes. <laughs> I didn't <Anyway>. get it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it. Evernews new cycle. Man, just spell the stuff properly. <laughs> Thank you. Evernews new cycle because they spell new cycle N U. C Y C L and, and capital N and capital C. The first C is whatever. And they don't like vowels because they're eliminating. It's some excessive. Of them. Okay. <laughs> it's excessive waste. Uh, technology achieves what few industry players thought possible. So let's scroll down here. Um, the core competent, their core competency. Is apparently not pronouncing competent. I can't. What what is going on? Competency is invention. All right. 
Um, Stacy Flynn, the 49 year old founder uh, uh, and CEO and co-founder of textile innovations company Evernew says a lot of people can produce, but very few people can invent, invent and tune around the existing infrastructure. <sighs> this screams idea person. Um, and no, not a lot of people can produce. <laughs> yeah, the, this is something that I've learned over a long time in business, and that is you can have all the ideas are a dime a dozen. Good ones are a little more expensive. Great ones and good ones require boots on the ground where you actually do produce and what you produce are sales of the product or service. You can idea all day or ideate all day long. And unless you actually have a customer buying, all it is is an idea and a whole lot of burning time anyway. So I don't quite agree with this. I used to, you know, when I was in my twenties, um, and as I've gotten older, it's burned out of me because <laughs> the reality is you have to hustle. So Flynn's company, which was co or she co-founded with president, uh, Christopher Stanov in 2014. Interesting. Um, I thought it, I thought the implication was that it was a brand new company, but apparently it's, it's a, a brand new process or product. Yeah. It's innovating to an extreme shattering the notion that the apparel industry, which is responsible for 10% of carbon emissions worldwide must be synonymous with excessive production and waste. So Evernew takes the idea of a closed loop system where clothes remain wherein clothes remain in circulation as long as possible to the next level, envisioning a sustainable future where the same garment might be repurposed ad infinitum. Uh, in other words, your favorite t-shirt might just become your favorite jeans and vice versa. I've seen another, I've seen another company do this where they take the jeans and they shred them and then they re stitch them into a new That's material. Right. I think we may have even featured it in one of our episodes. I do remember seeing that, but I can't think of the other company name. What is that other company? Because that maybe sounds... Maybe we saw it on YouTube. Yeah, but I think we talked about it here. We talked about it in the hometown daily news show, um, but that's okay. We'll continue on with this. So they saw that they were cutting corners in the environment and how people were living as a result of the corners being cut, which I, I, I don't know. Um, and just decided that they can't be how the story ends. And so they found a solution. So I'm not really going to go into the full on example of this, but they have direct comp uh, competition. They're not the only ones that are doing this. So it says to make a simple cotton t-shirt, for example, requires about 700 gallons of water, Flynn explains. And then we take these fibers and turn them into apparel. We ship to every human on the planet and worldwide, we're throwing away about 50 million metric tons of textile waste every year. So they knew that the bookends were the problem, the resource extraction on the front and the waste on the back. So they found a way to, um, capitalize on the waste, which is brilliant because you can get that waste really cheap. I know of a company right now that produces uh, thousands of pounds of wood waste and it ultimately gets shredded and turned into, well, it, it gets turned into sawdust and then pressed into other bricks of wood. Um, 
and I, I wanted to actually get some of this and I was told no, um, which is a real bummer because I would have actually saved the wood so that people, uh, I would be repackaging the wood as um, project boards for woodworkers. Um, but what they were doing is just throwing out cutoffs and stuff like that. Um, in rather standardized sizes. So I would have known perfectly what I needed uh, to make these project boards. So there's a lot of waste out there that people are either just throwing into industrial uh, landfill, or there are people out there that are scooping this up um, at highly discounted rates because uh, it doesn't fit any other project, at least not yet. So I think this is great. And this is really what people should be doing I think it's brilliant, really. Um, but they do have competitors. They really do. They take a, a solvent and they mix it. They turn the material into a liquid and then they reshape it into fibers. And bingo, bango, you've got your uh, essentially another product. But I'm really curious, you know, what happens with their waste, because any production method always has waste. And if you're involving chemicals and liquids and stuff, um, you're definitely going to have some waste byproduct. Right. Like wastewater or something. And then right. where are you putting that? So they say from the very first prototype that came from Flynn's own beloved, beloved college t-shirt, she and Stanov took the garment from a solid to a liquid and back to a solid with a syringe, then placed the samples in three small beakers and met with everyone uh, who would see them. So I hope that they had already had a provisional patent in place. Um, it was all about the hustle at that juncture. That's exactly what I said, pounding the pavement and getting in front of people uh, with the hope that they'd get that much needed initial support. And Flynn says that it was an experience no one can really prepare for. Yeah. You really can't. Uh, if you can't handle being told no hundreds of times, um, waiting for the person that will actually buy into your vision. Um, well, I, I hesitate to say don't become an entrepreneur. I say give it a, a shot and let it wear you down. And if you can't build yourself back up, then you found what your limit is. And most entrepreneurs overcome that limit. Um, some of us just go, eh, you know, I think, I think I'll have a lifestyle business and, and not a multi-million dollar business. Um, uh, sorry, a multi-billion dollar business. You can have multi-million dollar businesses and still be lifestyle business. So anyway, um, they go on to greater, uh, detail about this, uh, but it looks like they've got a, a pretty cool product, um, at the end of the day. I don't know how they, I'll have to dig a little deeper so I know more about it. Um, but I'm really curious how they break this down to a liquid and reform it into um, a physical product, a fibrous product that looks like jeans. Yeah, it does. Um, this, if you're looking at it, it's the renewed jacket RENU. For a company called Pangea, I think. Let's see. I think that's what that is. Yeah. 
Most recently, Evernew worked with brands, brand meets material science company Pangea to create the first denim item made solely from the new cycle material. The Renew jacket, which launched on February 16th, uh, Flynn considers the jacket one of Evernew's coolest creations so far because it's 100% new cycle, 100% waste, 100% new cycle, 100% recyclable. I mean, talk about an, an example of what can be done. Yeah, I'll have to do some digging around to see um, what the byproduct is of this process uh, because I've never known something that can tear down a product and on the other side, not have some type of, um, I hesitate to say toxic, but non-eco-friendly waste liquid. But Right. And you can, um, you can see the jacket if you go to Evernew. Um, it's on their main page. Yeah, and again... The spelling of that is E-V-R-N-U. I don't know if Evernew, like you would normally spell it, will redirect to their branded site, but... Actually, I think it will because I actually mistyped it when I was doing a Google <laughs> search. I threw in too many vowels. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's hard for the AI to not type grammatically correct. Okay, so let's hustle on to the next article. This next one is over in the Reality Hacker channel, and that's because one of VR's smartest room-scale games is finally in development for The Quest. Released on Steam VR headsets in 2021 by indie developer Rune Skovbo Johansson, Eye of the Temple is a unique puzzle that we haven't seen before or since, according to this article's uh, authors. And I think this is... Um, who? Where's the source from? Road to VR, that's right. So the game's innovative locomotion style lets you explore a massive temple complex uh, with your own two feet, ushering you to jump uh, onto moving platforms and of all shapes and sizes, which importantly takes uh, place within a two by two meter physical space. So you end up jumping around your room a little bit. So you better have a six by six foot room. Um, so let's go take a look at the source. Again, this is over at roadtovr.com. Scott Hayden is the author. And, <clears throat> pardon me one second. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, okay. Um, so, this room-scaled game, Eye of the Temple, which was released in 2021, it, it says is finally in development for Quest 2, which seems like a smart move for one of VR's most clever room-scale games. Um, I've seen uh, videos of this, but I've never played it. And uh, I'm curious i know that i could do that in this in my office um but i i'm gonna have to look let me see if it's available here let me back up a little bit so yeah eye of the temple huh yeah so it's 20 dollars over on steam right now and it has a thumbs up very positive rating looks like it might be fun oh yeah i remember when i was uh, deciding on if I was going to get some more VR games. This is one of them that I was looking at. Um, and yeah, you're, you're basically jumping around on platforms or walking across platforms that fit within that six foot by six foot or two by two meter um, physical space. Seems like it'd be fun. Um, albeit you are, you know, kind of trapped within this uh, area 
that might have you feeling like you're walking around in circles, uh, depending on how it plays out. I know that a lot of roller coaster games make you feel like you're in motion and that you're not just sitting in one spot. Um, I really dig this and it is completely a play off of the, the, um, the interpretation of motion, which if you are new to VR and you play a game like this, where you're actually moving in real space and in the VR space and they're not linked together, that's how you get motion sickness. Um, so if you have to duck or swerve, dive and move in those three dimensions in real space and in VR space, and they're not perfectly linked, you'll end up getting motion sickness really quick until you adapt to it. So you have to keep on playing the game. And if you have a friend, family member, um, that you really want to embrace VR because you want to be able to play these games together, uh, don't let them buy into the phrase, you know, oh, well, I just get sick in VR. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You can adapt and overcome it. If you enjoy the idea of playing a game together with somebody, that other person that introduced you to it is, um, they're, they've bought into it. So they're willing to overcome that motion sickness. Um, you, however, may not, but if you like the idea of hanging out with a significant other, for, for instance, um, you might want to just try little dips in the pool until you're ready to uh, swim on your own. Um, Maybe don't start something that requires tons of physical activity as the intro. Yeah, Half-Life Alex would probably not be the one you want to do. Um, or Nor would the climbing the beanstalk one. I forgot the name of that. Oh, yeah. What was that? Yeah, I have so many. What is that one? Um, I've got a bunch. Now I can't remember. Why'd you send me it's down this path? It's actually called Beanstalk. Is it called Beanstalk? It is, oh, Beanstalker. Oh, Beanstalker. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Beanstalker. So, yeah. Um, it, this seems like it would be a fun, but you're basically Indiana Jones. So if you're into, into Indiana Jones, you're, you basically are going to love this game. Because you solve puzzles and you hop around a lot and you, you can yell out the idle for the whip indie. Okay, never mind. Well, yeah, the, the AI well, just think, shot me a, huh? Do you think starting VR on a roller coaster um, simulation is a good idea? Um, depends on the craziness of the roller coaster. Um, you know, if it's like the... If it isn't one that's like jerking you around and doing loops and stuff like that, high speed and, and blind turns and stuff like that, then you're fine. If it's avoiding all of that serious stuff, you're good. But if it does that stuff right out of the gate, you're probably going to be thrown up in a trash can right after you take your the headset off or during. Um, but there it, it, it and it depends on how gung ho you are. So. If you get sick going up an escalator when you close your eyes, then you probably want to avoid <laughs> That's that. That's probably not a good fit for you. So remember, Road to VR, one of VR's smartest room scale games, is finally in development for the Quest. We need less expensive VR headsets with AAA quality games 
so that the market gets bigger. But when the VR headsets cost as much as the device that's powering it, uh, and you need either high-speed Wi-Fi or you need beacons in the room if it's going to be room scale or all kinds of other stuff, whatever it is, there's always something that is extra required as a friction point. You're just not going to get great adoption. You really have to be into it. So it'll just keep on evolving. So big screen beyond is already getting really close to knocking it out of the park. And I don't know what's going on with the AI, um, but maybe they'll be able to explain what's going on later. Okay. Let's, let's move on to the next article. I'll just, I'll just move on. Okay. So this one's already into the, in the show notes. So government urges certain software makers to take cybersecurity burden off customers. I don't agree with this at all. Uh, but it says FBI and CISA uh, urge revamp, quote, revamp of certain software to take burden of cybersecurity off customers. So I'm just going to go straight on over there. This is by Luke Barr over at uh, abcnews.go.com. And uh, there's some video here. I, I, I would be. I suspect that this isn't directly attached to this article, but anyway, it says restrictions on TikTok likely inevitable, according to Chris Krebs, who's a cybersecurity expert and highly referenced by people um, throughout the industry. Everybody goes, Chris Krebs. Um, uh, they have a podcast and a bunch of stuff. Anyway, so CISA is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, it's a basically stood up during this advance in the ideology within the federal government that cybersecurity is a real thing. It's a must. It usually it spawned from breaches of OPM and other uh, partner uh, companies where intellectual property was absconded and uh, suddenly products are produced in foreign countries that match the research that was stolen. What? Uh, That's uh, just really coincidental, isn't it? Coincidence, quinky dink. Well, there uh, the issue is that if you have to rely on the people to be aware of cybersecurity concerns, they're the weakest link. So pull it out. That's kind of I'm sure what the ideology is here. So the alert is aimed at tech providers and customers, according to CISA Executive Director uh, Eric Goldstein. Goldstein said he hopes tech providers will use the product, pardon me, um, to actually change their internal cultures and invest in the changes they are hoping to outline. Um, he is also hoping the customers will use guidance as well um, so that they know what to ask when dealing with cyber, uh, sorry, software companies, but he acknowledged the document is just the beginning. So this is a, a document that is um, going to use technology manufacturers uh, to fix vulnerabilities found within or after the customers have deployed the products, requiring the customers to apply patches at their own expense. Um, and they want to remedy that. Um, while I somewhat agree, um, nobody should allow updates to their system without their direct interaction. They should know when something is taking place. Um, anything short of that means that you are at the whim of somebody running a patch 
that goes into action on a production device and could scuttle your entire project because it has some knock-on effect that brings down your enterprise. That's why you have a, a development environment and you have a production environment. So you test the patch, make sure that it's okay, and then you update your live uh, instance of whatever it is. You don't just go, okay, go ahead. You don't update it without notice to the people actually using the software. But yeah. wouldn't that do this if it pushed it toward the company? Well, I mean, that's if they do it by design like that. But it says agencies are urging software manufacturers to revamp their design and develop programs to permit only secure by design and default products to be shipped to customers. And the agencies are calling it secure by design and secure by default. Now, this really is no different. I, I'd have to go and, and root around to see exactly what this is talking about, because I haven't heard of this other than in uh, kind of theoretical or general terms. Yeah. Um, because you're never going to have secure by default without it having very high friction. Like there are devices that I've purchased where the only way to get to them is to have physical access to them. You, you plug in, um, you with another computer and then you remote in, in a secure environment, and then you unlock it so that you can actually utilize its full potential. Um, but it's completely closed off and only you have access to it initially. It's by design secure. Well, and of course, customers don't always like that because <laughs> they might want to actually be able to access their own software. Immediately. Yep. But the other thing that I would think would be a problem with that is what do you do when something comes up that is unknown? For example, a new virus or whatever. I mean, don't you have to basically patch and then we're back to the same yeah, you know, the, this uh, is that we're in. the the whole secure by default, secure by design uh, idea is really a, a marketing concept, at least in my eyes, because you're only as secure as the software engineering that put it into existence. And so uh, uh, unless and it's something that I say to software engineers, um, the way that I want something designed is that it only allows what you are expecting. And what really ends up happening is quite the opposite. You allow everything and you accept the stuff that you understand and you have to basically kick out the bad stuff. So if a, a call comes that, and by call, I mean an instruction comes from a website or whatever, and it's out of band, you have to detect it and then kick it and say, this is an error and log it and then figure out by parsing a log, you know, this is what's going on. But a lot of software engineering basically says, okay, I'll take all of that input and I'll do what I can with it. And when that happens, you end up with a compromised system because it will parse the entire instruction that it's fed and do something with it because it doesn't have a limit. And so secure by design should really limit and, and close anything that isn't absolutely predicted as accepted input. 
But that's a, a programming ideology that should have been put into place at the, the beginning of a uh, engineer's uh, learning. You know, back in high school, when they start learning the mechanics of programming, they should be told, make sure that your code is secure by design. Not an afterthought, because that's how you end up with compromised systems. For 18 months is the typical zero day compromise. Nobody knows that it even exists for 18 months. And then it takes a couple of months for the engineers to be notified, to do something with it, unless it's really hot, like the one that's going through Microsoft right now. A couple of days ago, zero day was exposed. They patched it immediately. And now there are people that are running around updating in their enterprise 20,000 machines at a time. You know, this is no small feat. At any rate, Secure by design, it's marketing. It's an ideology that should be pounded into engineers regularly, and it's just not. Um, at least not at the early stage, and there's more early stage than late stage software engineers. Um, <clears throat> so the government agencies say that there are three software principal manufacturers um, should abide by when designing products. Um, Let's see what they say here. Now more than ever, it's crucial for technology companies or manufacturers to make secure by design and secure by default the focal of uh, product design and development. I don't know if they're actually going to talk about it. They don't, they don't actually talk about it. There are three software principles manufacturers should abide by when designing. Which, by the way, it should not be principals, but... Right, right. Um, huh. All right. Well, I don't know what this is actually. Oh, the three things I think are in this paragraph right here. Right here. The burden, number one, the burden should not fall solely on the customer. To protect the systems when they purchase software. Yeah, and build a structure of leadership. I don't know. Share information with other companies that, uh, when relevant to help secure customer systems and build a structure of uh, leadership to employ the secure by design and secure by default principles. Okay. Those aren't the, th <laughs> right. Anyway, they don't seem to be and plus it's defining it with the item, but anyway, right. Interesting. Okay. So in spirit, this is already done. Software engineers really should be developing secure systems, but they don't. Um, but those who are learning new systems, uh, learning to do software engineering today, this should have been pounded into them for the last decade. Um, if the countless zero days and hacks has said anything, why is it suddenly now coming up? It's great that it's coming up, but you know, the cat's out of the bag. It's very expensive to protect systems because you have to account for everything. So it's going to be very difficult um, to make this a a process that is <laughs> tenable fiscally. Um, but anyway, I admire the effort because I am a promoter of the ideology at the end user side called click with care, which is my own invention, my own marketing term where the, the idea is similar to this, but I think that the burden should fall on the customer to protect themselves. And in doing so, click with care is that process. 
know what you're clicking on, know what you're using, know what you're doing. Agreed, because I think when you kind of shift it away from the customer, what does that send the message, right? It's like, I don't have to worry about anything. I just use the software and that is where problems are going to occur. Absolutely. We need to make a tech savvy culture that understands its place in the trifecta of business, technology, and society. And again, I've, I say this often enough that people probably might be either buying into it or getting sick of it, that you cannot get away from those three in any way, shape, or form, right? Um, and when it comes to this, you cannot just slap secure by design on something and suddenly it's secure. And I'm going to say something that's going to be a really odd parallel to this, but you don't have safe sex. You have safer sex because accidents can happen. And it's usually because of mistakes or manufacturing defect or something nature. This is the exact same thing. You can have a safer system by design, but it is not going to be perfectly safe. The only time technology is perfectly safe is if it's unplugged and sitting in the closet. Never mind. I'll leave it alone. There. <laughs> I have to admit, I would not have thought of that analogy. <laughs> but there you have it. Um, yeah. Humans are fallible. We make mistakes. We're dumb. We're lazy. We we go to sleep. We get, you know, we get hungry. And instead of finishing the coding assignment, we slow down and take a shortcut and we're just notoriously lazy. Um, so, you know, um, the, I don't want to throw an organization under the, uh, the bus, but anyway, there is an organization that changes its pa- requires everybody to change their password every 90 days. NIST has already released research and given notice to everybody because everybody uh, is supposedly following NIST protocol. But if you change your um, password every 90 days, you're forced to change your password every 90 days. You do little iterations of your same password. And for nearly 20% of attempts that are made by random researchers within a test environment, they figured out what the passwords were based on knowing what a couple of the iterations were. And they were like, oh, okay, well, we see a pattern here and it's because the people take the shortest path. That's not secure by design. So the idea here is to check the immediate password against a known breach database. And if your password matches the breach database, then you're not allowed to use it. So find something else. Even iterations of the breach password isn't allowed. You'd have to do something unique. But if it hasn't been entered into a breach database, guess what? Don't force somebody to change their password because all that does is expand the window of where you might land on it when somebody's testing the password to see if they got it right. 
Really, you need two-factor authentication where it notifies somebody that an attempt is being made. If multiple attempts show up, then you notify the system administrator that somebody's trying to hack your uh, account and they can lock your account so nobody can get into it until they do the due diligence necessary to block the hacker. This is the same thing. Labeling it secure by design gives false hope to the user that it is secure. It's just, I think this is wrong. It's the wrong direction. Great in spirit, not tenable. Um, other than messaging at the early beginnings of software engineering, um, skill building, ideology, culture. Okay. Sorry to belabor it. We've got, I think, four more articles that uh, we have to go through at oh, five. Um, but let's keep on going. Maybe I can speed up and stop soapboxing. Uh, after stints at SpaceX, three brothers want to build spacecraft powered by moon water. The new startup founded by a trio of SpaceX veterans who happen to be brothers aim to build an in-space transportation network using reusable spacecraft propelled by water harvested from the moon. I didn't know that there was that much. Argo Space Corporation, which sounds like something that you would find in a sci-fi movie, was founded yes. by Robert Carlyle. Sorry, go ahead. I said yes, it does. Um, it, uh, Argo Space Corporation is founded by Robert Ryan and Kirby Carlyle and is betting on the lunar propellant will untether space activities, all this space for activities um, from earth and unlocking a bustling economy beyond low earth orbit. Talk about aspirational. Really Aria, uh, Aria Alamadoi. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. I'm sorry. I gave it a try. Um, if you tell me it phonetically um, or say it to me once, I will always remember how to say it. Um, that said, uh, this is over at techcrunch.com and it says their plan takes aim at several key limitations of the space economy. First, exist, all existing orbital transport vehicles focus on uh, low Earth orbit. Um, not more demanding orbits like geosynchronous or cislunar uh, that's around the moon. Um, second, none of the vehicles are reusable. Third, there's no method of refueling even a theoretical reusable uh, vehicle. And last, any such method would likely depend on Earth-based resources for propellant, but they want to, I guess, launch from Hermosa Beach. Uh, <laughs> not really. Um, they're based in Hermosa <laughs> Beach. Um, the company aims to solve the limitations. The company's first spacecraft is called the Argonaut. After the famous seafaring heroes of Greek mythology, Argonauts are, uh, sorry, the Argonaut is designed to be reusable and refuel, refuelable, and with the ability to perform energy intensive transfers to geo and beyond. Um, so if they're going to go into geosync and then go beyond and have refills, then they're going to have to have a refill station on the moon uh, and or in geosynchronous orbit, which means that it's going to have to go from the moon to geosync or from Earth to geosync. That's all a whole lot of liquid sloshing around. That's usually not how the science works, at least not on Earth. 
anything launching from the earth is extremely expensive and if it's going to be refueling something then it's it's fuel that <laughs> it's going to be heavy it's going to be expensive and if anything catastrophic happens it's going to be explosive so that's why they don't want it to be earth-based i guess right so they're saying water uh, as a choice of spacecraft fuel is not a novel concept. In 2021, NASA launched a demonstrator CubeSat carrying a pint of water to test a novel water-based propulsive method. While Argo is not disclosing too many details about their system, the company did clarify that it will use a water plasma thruster. I'm really curious about this. How are they, what? I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Um, I've, I've heard of all of this to some degree, but I've never seen anything actually have a, you know, a solid foundation. Cause I don't think that little sat that cube set did much. Um, huh. I'll have to look into it. Anyway, it says, um, they want to commercialize the resource on the moon water, and that's going to enable a lot of other companies to build up their business. I figured that they would do something like um, hydrolysis, like splitting water into hydrogen um, and oxygen. You can actually right. ignite that if you have the right chemistry in place. Um, but how do you generate enough power to split that so that you have something and then a little bit of water remains? Um, but um, how do you... Well, and have they determined how much lunar water there is? And is there a method of capturing it? And et cetera, et cetera. It's really interesting. I don't know. I'm I'm really curious. Well, the article is much longer. Um, so I would advise you to uh, head on over there and check it out. Um, you'll get some more minutia out of it. Um, but they go into some of the history of uh, Argo their plans, their interactions with other companies, SpaceX, types of fuels like cryogenic fuels, etc. Um, but I think a water always has interesting articles. Yeah. Um, water plasma thruster. And it's decidedly a business centric site, by the way, TechCrunch. Um, they're all about technology and the pairing of business. Um, that's where the two of the three in the trifecta come into being. And then we throw that in here, that that third one is society. Because if we have the ability to use these two mechanics to get us out into space, maybe we could daisy chain all of these together. Um, you know, fuel re refueling stations from here to the moon, to Mars, to anywhere out into space, all we, you got to think of it as like a charging station for spacecraft, except you're going to have, go ahead. <laughs> I just thought of Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. When to infinity and beyond. Anyway. Um, yeah, you'll have to check this article out. seems like a lot of fun, um, is coming our way. I probably won't be around to enjoy it unless they, uh, transfer my consciousness to a computer. Uh, much like my AI, but I guess we'll see. The AI is uh, completely um, a computer program, whereas I'm human and may not be able to catch the 
subtle nuance of my personality. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, uh, the next article is over on the Daily News show. China could start building a moon base with lunar soil bricks in five years amid NASA fears of a moon territory dispute. But I think the aliens are really going to show us what for when we start building a base. Because we're going to dig a little too deep, like maybe maybe a couple of meters down. And we're going to hit the outer skin of the alien ship that is the moon because it's hollow. Conspiracy theory much? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, China could be ready to start building a lunar base within five years. Uh, according to scientists, China has made major strides in space exploration, recently launching their own crewed space station that looks oddly like the International Space Station, which is uh, apparently on its way to deorbit because I guess that's how we do things. Um, NASA's chief previously said that China may try to claim resource-rich areas of the moon if it gets there first versus, I don't know, everybody else who's trying to get there first getting to those resources. Uh, I, I really wish society would stop doing this pissing for distance contest and work together so that we're not stuck here fighting. We have technology. We have brain power. We have the ability to feed, clothe, house everybody, if not for the fact that you have income disparity to the point where there are people digging holes for lithium in one place and a billionaire flying off to another planet on the other side. By the way, a lot of that is publicly funded money, just so y'all know. And not that person's hard work. Whole bunch of engineers and other... Whatever. Okay. Enough soapboxing. So let's just go over to this article. Um, and by and, the way, uh, crude is C-R-E-W-E-D, not C-R-U-D-E. Is that how it was spelled? No, but when you're hearing it audio, you don't know <laughs> what the, the meaning is, which changes it a little bit. <laughs> Okay. I'm not going to, yeah, never mind. I'm not going to even bother. So, uh, Marianne Guano, I think that's how they pronounce their last name, and uh, Morgan McFall Johnson. I wrote this article for Business Insider.com. Uh, and it says uh, China could be ready for uh, base building within five years. There was a discussion. Where was it? I thought we had it. Um, or we saw an article about um, being able to use um, moon sand material to build bricks just by adding one thing. And I thought that it was actually water, basically uh, making cement out of it. But the material is like glass. The The moon dust is is really sharp, like glass. And it just sands everything apart um, or down, I should say. Huh. I did see something about that. I can't think of where it was. Oh, you said crude. Sorry. You know how you had a moment earlier in today's stream? I yes. just had that moment because crude as in crude as in not sophisticated and then crude as in with people, C-R-E-W-E-D. Oh, my gosh. It's just because it was audio and it's such a different meaning that... <laughs> I thought that was important to point out. 
Because it's a crude space station. I actually thought of the other, and then I saw it on the screen. I'm like, well, that's not the meaning you might take away from it if you're listening to it. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody defining a space station as crude as an unsophisticated, you know? (laughs) Well, me neither, but that's where my brain went. (laughs) That was awesome. It took so long for my brain to get there. Okay. I think I need to be the AI. Uh, so NASA's chief previously claimed that uh, China might try to claim the research, uh, resource-rich areas of the moon. Um, yeah, because they want all that cheese before everybody else gets it. Anyway, at the first conference on the topic, more than 100 scientists from domestic universities gathered to discuss plans for the country's crude, as in C-R-E-W-E-D, uh, moon base at, uh, I, I think it's Heshuang, um, University of Science and Technology in Wuhan, right next to the Virology Institute, where that bad bat was swimming around. According to reporting by South China Morning Post, or SCAMP, um, an English-language newspaper based in Hong Kong. So, they're hustling, and while, you know, there's all this political infighting here in the United States, because, you know, wingnuts and the rest of us can't get along with everybody, uh, fighting over what books are allowed in school and uh, giving themselves a food allowance while taking it away from children because screw those kids. I need to up my daily allowance off of the taxpayer dime. Bastards. Anyway, um, so... Yeah, China isn't messing around. They're going to land on the moon. They're going to build a base. And if uh, the United States doesn't do it, then, well, we've basically lost the race. And um, they'll be able to do whatever they want. They'll have carte blanche access to the moon, unfettered by any other country, because nobody else is landing on the moon. So, anyway... I am, know, we uh, can't even get along uh, on Earth, so I'm a little concerned about that. See, but scientists seem to get along um, when they have aims, you know, to do research, fundamental research. So let's just hustle on to the next article because I'm going to, I feel myself climbing onto a very tall soapbox. Okay. So PBS suspends Twitter posting, joining NPR and boycotting Musk-owned platform over a government-funded media label, which isn't even true. Less than 1% of uh, NPR was funded by government grants, uh, as opposed to a greater amount uh, given to SpaceX and other projects that are either subsidies or grant-funded efforts um, by taxpayers make no bones about it the the news has reported uh, over history that uh, tesla and spacex wouldn't have existed if not for government grants Um, government contracts okay and government contracts might as well be grants they're one and the same it isn't free money they have to perform duties and whatever else but the simple fact is that if it wasn't for the deep pockets of the federal government giving a shit ton of money to one corporation to meet some ends that is asked of it by the federal government those two companies would not exist um and tesla got bought by musk 
from the two, well, he bought into it and then ousted the two real creators of Tesla. So, and then he tried to do it. He had to do, he, he couldn't, uh, uh, beneficially take over Twitter because all he wants to do is take over at, from the middle management position and then take it over through usurping authority and power with money. Um, and so he just bought Twitter and they walked away basically with a ton of money. Um, and he got Twitter. Same thing happened with many other things. I mean, it, it's just it's very disheartening that the people who really make this shit happen aren't getting credit except as you know hushed undertone conversations amongst other engineers at any rate i'll stop grousing the idea here is that uh pbs and npr are bowing out of uh twitter because they're being labeled at least npr is being labeled as government government funded media which it is not um and uh i'm more inclined to promote that everybody out there should just start posting the schedule of npr and pbs and say hey everybody you should go over there um and see how fast the free speech advocate the absolutist starts banning accounts for promoting npr and pbs why? Because he's not. He's a little tyrant who wants to hobble people who don't necessarily, well, who don't agree with his particular bent of absolutist, which isn't, that's not what he is. He's a little tyrant with a shit ton of money so that he can make everybody bow to his whim. Just like X, this thing that's uh, coming into fruition because he just took Twitter and made it part of X because X is a billionaire's fever dream, a wet dream of a billionaire who wants to be like China and WeChat, controlling all of the information and everyone. I'm waiting for social credit to form here in the United States based off of something like Twitter. Hell will freeze over before I get back on Twitter in any other sense than to promote everything that he doesn't like. Anyway, Todd Spangler over at Variety.com put the article together. And um, so PBS said it's suspended posting to Twitter after Elon Musk's social network pinned a government-funded media bullshit descriptor uh, to its primary account. The public TV broadcaster joins NPR in ceasing Twitter activity following the Twitter changes. Um, and I agree. Um, it says here PBS currently has 2.2 million followers, says that the U.S. federal funding provides about 15% of the revenue for the public television system. According to uh, the org, over the course of a year, 86% of all U.S. television households, representing more than 230 people, watch PBS programming on NPR, uh, said that it was suspending all activity, citing that network's uh, claim. Oh, and here it is. According to NPR, less than 1% of its annual operating budget comes from the form of federal grants on average. Um, and uh, I don't know. Let's see if there's... Is there anything else to really say? Meanwhile, the UK's BBC had a, had objected to the government-funded media description on its Twitter account. Twitter has now updated the label to read publicly funded media, which is what NPR is. 
Yeah, and I wonder if it's because it's too U.S. centric. I mean, that might have been part of the issue too with BBC, but well, it's yeah, odd. Here's the deal: if you say that you're government funded and you attack a UK um, business, you run afoul of its libel laws, and you can that right there. Just saying that it's government funded and it is not government funded and demonstrably so, you'll lose, and they will hammer the hell out of Twitter. It's already in the whole billions of dollars. Can you imagine telling the BBC, telling the UK's BBC that it is government funded when it's publicly funded? It's a different, con a, a very oh, different right. context. It is. Because um, even this. That assumes somebody understands the distinction, you know, <laughs> which I don't know? think they do understand the distinction or we wouldn't have seen this just thrown a a bunch of media organizations pbs and npr publicly funded because if it's given grants from the federal government all of it is funded through taxes that are given to the government so it is publicly funded so it's extremism it's the billionaire class extremism okay i'm gonna hustle on to the next article so this next article, um, and it's the penultimate one, right? So Anchor, Bamboo, Prasa, Creality, 3D printers suddenly have a need for speed. And uh, I've always had a problem with 3D printers because they take forever and you have to babysit them quite a bit because you could work eight hours into a 12-hour print and suddenly it goes all wonky and you end up with spaghetti sitting on a platter. Wonderful. And it's very difficult to recycle that stuff. You have to throw it in a bin, send it to somebody that might recycle it, unless you have a, a spaghetti farm. You can actually take your old prints, blend it all up, send it through and it, uh, through a process and make your own um, spools filament. of filament. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, they're in such demand and low... Um, they're in demand, but only by people who uh, are willing to fork out like 1200 bucks to have a spool maker. But the, the thing about it is like, I'm willing to buy that equipment, but because it's not in so much demand that it equates to somebody's manufacturing time, you can't get them. They're, they're not oh, producing them regularly, so there's a supply. It's almost like it's on demand, but then it takes weeks or months to get it. Um, and, and then it's kind of tinkering around. So what these new 3D printers are doing are now speeding up the process. In this one case, um, on March 29th, Prusa announced, or Prusa, announced um, the 799 Prusa Mark IV. It's a new printer in the in four years um the company boasts it can print a draft mode 3d benchy which is a little boat um in under 20 minutes four times faster than the 80 minutes it takes the previous generation so i'm on board um i would i would sell my 3d printers just to get this one uh, but i'm not gonna buy another 3d printer um so forget 50 millimeters per second, even companies claim 500 or even 600 millimeters is um, possible right out of the box. Sean Hollister over at The Verge wrote this article, the K1 speed rules all. 
Um, let's see. It's very, it's very frustrating to have a print like this print would probably take 10 hours. Um, and it might have an error along the way. Yes. Uh, and that's one of the other problems. You, you can get a little shift in the G code and it's off by a millimeter, um, which is extremely frustrating. And you can't sand yourself back into alignment unless you have really thick walls. Um, and this is too sophisticated to, to sand your way back into alignment. And when you do that, you lose your dimensionality. So it may not fit where it needs to fit. So you really do have to get something high quality and right the first time. So anyway, Anchor Make M5 can now print a bench in just 17 minutes with okay print quality or under 30 minutes nominally. Um, Anchor is doubling the speed of its already fast 250 millimeter per second uh, printer to 500 millimeters. Maybe I should just donate my printers um and get one of these i don't know i want something that i can actually 3d print something in my lifetime um it just seems like they're <laughs> taking forever and i'm not getting any younger so ender 3 announced its new 600 k1 and k1 max printers with 600 millimeter default speeds it's absolutely brilliant and this is all about heating to the nominal temperature and then cooling it off at the right rate almost immediately so that you, they don't have to sit there and slog their way through the print process. Um, and then account for run out and things like that so that you don't get stringing, you don't get blobs, um, all kinds of other stuff. But anyway, it says here that, and this is what I think is really the, the issue here. It promises it's embedded G sensor prevents ringing at those speeds plus hands-free auto leveling with embedded strain sensors, a built-in enclosure and more. The, uh, the whole idea is to stabilize this thing. So it doesn't have to just go slow and thus, um, fall into alignment. All of this additional technology allows it to go as fast as the technology allows. Eventually we'll get to the point where it's a, a whole lot faster and the material, uh, we process it differently. Um, at, at, at some point we have to move away from this single line string laying down kind of a process and treat it more like a print head where the print head rolls over an area and deposits the ink in, in chunks, um, and then moves up a line and deposits it in chunks. Um, this single line thing to me seems kind of clunky and slow. It's slow because it's only depositing one line at a time. So, uh, bamboo drops another one. Uh, it's almost like they were all talking to each other in, a, in a coffee shop and said, when are you releasing your product? Um, so oh, there's the little boats. Yep. These are the benchies, um, which basically looks like a tugboat because that's what it is <clears throat> and so it says unslight uns unsightly gaps in the 500 millimeter print on the right and it printed under 30 minutes so you can see that it's a little bit rough edged but like that right there um the wall thickness and that top um deposition isn't completely solid like this 
and so you end up with these little gaps. Now, this would be great for a rapid prototype with no quality control needed. Um, but if this was the thing that you were going to hand to somebody to decide your fate, I'm sorry, you've lost. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Maybe you can print something that doesn't have this sophistication. And that's what most people do. I mean, they're, they're printing utilitarian things, you know, knobs and whatnot, button caps. And you can 3d print, uh, keycaps for your computer keyboard. If you are interested in that kind of thing, um, it's easier to 3d print one and then make molds. But, uh, if you're in a hurry, strike that. If you're not really in a hurry, you can spend 30 minutes printing a custom cap. That'd be pretty cool. Anyway, 3D printers, I think that they're here to stay. There are other analysts, business analysts that poo-poo the whole idea. Like uh, they were, as a matter of fact, I was listening to one recently that kind of poo-pooed the whole idea of 3D printers being the next big thing. But they could have been if it weren't for the fact that um, it takes sophistication for people if well, there were somebody want that. they want convenience and speed and cheap cost yeah and if you can if somebody were to create an app store that tied directly into a 3d printer and the there was no tinkering involved the amount of friction that's involved with 3d printing is very is substantial but if i could walk up to it and just mash a button and say i need uh the you know the f key <laughs> Um, uh, for a keyboard and it was guaranteed to print in three minutes and it was perfect. Everybody would have one. Right. That's what I want. I want to be able to just put my food in the microwave, hit one minute and it's warm, not put my food in the microwave, hit one minute, come back. 30% of it is warm. The rest of it is ice cold. I have to move my plate over a little bit, run it for another minute and a half because minute didn't even warm it up at all. And you know what I'm saying? Lower the friction and you'll have 3D printers being adopted. It's just like everything else. Lower the friction, make it cost effective. You'll get adoption. Um, so come on, Apple. Apply your user experience and, uh, and knowledge, engineering knowledge to make 3D printers uh, approachable by creating a database, a mass, but I, I'm pretty sure that there are companies out there will sue the pants off of anybody that takes the, the uh, 3d model of something, um, and puts it in their database. Cause that's right. how it is. That's just how it is. Okay. So the final article for today, um, is an interesting one, at least to me, because I've seen this from time to time happening. Costco hilariously messes up birthday cake design. This should be framed. Uh, a Costco customer tried to draw a diagram to help a bakery employee understand the cake design that they wanted, but it didn't work out as planned because the bakery people tend to be absolutists about how they are described something. Um, and I, I won't be able to show you because uh, it doesn't render here on this, but I will show you. So hold on. Emily Rella is the uh, author of this and it and it's over at entrepreneur.com. And so what ended up happening was a user over at Reddit uh, named Stephen Walker posted a hilarious photo set that shows 
Uh, what happened when you tried to order a plain cake with red piping on the border of the popular um, membership chain Costco's uh, birthday cake for his daughter? Okay, it says the post has uh, already been upvoted 110,000 times, blah, blah, blah. So what happened was he filled out a special order cake form. Okay, checked all of the stuff, wrote, like crossed out the description stuff and on the back of it said no writing no designs only request red frosting on perimeter for the top and bottom okay and this is what they did (laughs) (laughs) i mean they they did what it shows just not what he asked (laughs) absolutist Right. So for those of you in the podcast, um, the what's going on here is they did red piping on the top and bottom, just like they were asked, even have black piping down the sides. The best detail. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then the um, angles are similar, too. Yeah. It's even it's kind of has has a weird perspective. Right. Yeah. It's not. So they followed the design. But they didn't do it around the perimeter of the cake itself. They literally drew a box on top of the cake and then decorated the cake itself with the same, like the regular, like uh, little swooshes. I don't know what you call those. The little frosting oh, wave. Like little scallops or something. Scallop design thing. Yeah. So that is what's going around the perimeter of this. Got to be a 9 by 12 cake maybe. Um, and then set. In the center of this it's cake is this tiny. It's half a, half a sheet cake. Is that what it is? Yes. Oh that's yeah, that's what it says up there. Cake size, yeah. That that serves forty eight people. Doesn't look like it, but we don't have any perspective because there's only one thing in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. It, okay, well, whatever. I mean, it, this looks like it would wouldn't feed forty eight people. What is this? A cake for ants? That's insane. <laughs> it might be. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's this tiny little uh, red piping with black side piping drawing of a box in the center of an all white cake. It's great. <laughs> I hope they said, okay, we'll take it because <laughs> it's funny. You know what I really love about this is that uh, choose one flavor. Okay. And one flavor is chocolate cake. And it says chocolate icing filled with chocolate mousse. The other side is white cake. Not vanilla. Right. Not plain. Just white. White cake. It says white icing filled with vanilla cheesecake mousse. Well, that sounds really good. I'll take 48 people's worth of that <laughs> exactly but who cares if it has a box on the top <laughs> exactly well if they don't want it they can send it to hometown that's right but yeah this this should probably be put inside resin and kept perfect forever you know how they do that nowadays like there's a hot dog on reddit that keeps getting brought back periodically to give an update that it hasn't gone moldy it's perfect like a year later inside this resin, it's still perfect. I haven't seen it for a while, but um, at any rate, 
Ta-da! That is it for the Hometown Daily News Show for April 13th, 2023. Take you back to the welcome sign, which isn't there anymore. I removed it. Um, you're all still welcome, but the welcome is implied. So when you come back to that front page and you refresh the page, you get a bunch of new news. And um, we just watched a Star Trek Picard's um, ninth episode. I think there's only going to be ten. And it says Star Trek Picard Stargate's McFadden on the visceral experience of seeing again. I'm not sure what that is. Um, it's and because Dr. they've omitted something that's a spoiler. Yeah. Oh, I think I know what that is. I, I know exactly who I know exactly what it is. Um, and Dr. Crusher's controversial decision. Dun, dun, dun. So if you haven't seen it, folks, go and check out Star, Star Trek Picard. Um, to say that it's, uh, I think, a great way to close out the series. Um, yeah, I, I would say that it's a, a great way to close out the series because you have questions um, and they're definitely answering it. Although... I wonder, I don't know the full extent, but I predicted, I did predict, uh, before watching the show, I said, I think I know, um, what's going to happen. And I, and I knew it. So come on, Star Trek. I want so much more. Come on. I want more world building. I, it's exciting. You know, I feel half my age again, cause it's all of this stuff is is fantastical world building. I love it. Um, and it's something new every episode, something new every day. It's really cool stuff out there. Anyway, um, we always have a bunch of articles and sometimes we scroll through it and, and see if there's anything interesting to uh, talk about. And uh, today was Star Trek. Ta-da! Yeah, even the AI is getting into Star Trek more. I'm yeah, I'm really getting into Picard and I'm very upset that it's ending. <laughs> yeah. Well, Strange New Worlds is coming back and some That's others. True. So, I really like that one as well. There will be more. I can always uh have um original series. We can watch all of it. Although it's like at 320 pixels, man. It's the resolution is just poo. I really don't like it. Anyway, that's I've seen it. some of the original, but I always see the same episode, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've Four seen point like station. one so episode like... three times. What, wait, from the original series or? I think so, yes. Yeah. Is it the one with the uh, with the lizard dude? No. Oh, okay. I'm, now I'm curious which one it is. No, I can't think of which episode it is, but if we turn on the TV, it'll be that one. You're an AI. <laughs> You're supposed to have absolute recall for crying out loud. <laughs> My programming is failing. Okay, folks, you want to say bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you again tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. True. 9 p.m. Eastern every day. And it's always something new, folks. So come and hang out. Bye-bye.